Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn more about the program, podcast, and our thank you gift when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael and part two of his teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 8 through 13, called When the Perfect Comes. When all other loves fail you, think of Moses. How many times did the whining Israelites tax the man? How many times, maybe not recorded in Scripture, but we know of a few, did Moses have to go to God and say, Oh, Lord, they want to kill me. <laughs> right? They're, they're scheduling caravans back to Egypt, the place of slavery. Why did you give me these whiners? Anybody? Anybody ever prayed that before? Why, Lord? <laughs> Nobody wanted to raise their hand because they might be sitting next to the person they prayed about. But anyway, we won't go there. Right? Why, Lord? And the reassurance is, look, I'm not going to leave you, and I'm not going to forsake you. People may abandon you. Situations may get difficult. But I'm not going anywhere. My love never fails. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. Can I remind you of Romans 8, 31 through 39? You remember that? Not height, not depth, not angels, not principalities. Life, death, nothing will ever separate us from the love of Christ, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Did you hear that? Nothing. Nothing's going to separate you. He's not going to give up on you. That's the kind of love that gives me confidence. Amen? That's the kind of love that maybe many of us have never known before. That's the love of God. His love will never fall. It's synonymous with being abolished. It will never cease. It's also synonymous with love abiding. Now abide, faith, hope, love. But the greatest of these is love. Love will never cease to exist even in heaven because heaven is where God is. Love will never die. God's character, says Gordon Fee, after all, cannot fluctuate from what it is. He is love. Psalm 136, 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. How many times does the psalmist repeat that in Psalm 136? Some of us remember singing songs in church where the preacher would say the middle part, and then we would say, His love endures forever. How many of you back in the 90s? No? Nobody? A few of you? Thank you. But by contrast, if there are gifts of prophecy, 1 Corinthians 13, 8, they will be done away. Now, love's going to remain, but gifts of prophecy have a shelf life. If there are tongues, they will cease. Love won't cease, but tongues will. If there is knowledge, here is the gift of word of knowledge. These are all gifts that were mentioned in chapter 12, verses 8 through 11. So note, you have to see these as gifts now, and that's what Paul begins with. Gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. The gift of tongues will cease. If there is knowledge, that's the word of knowledge, a spiritual gift, it will be done away. Paul contrasts love with temporal spiritual gifts. The permanence of love with the temporal nature of spiritual gifts. The Corinthians were saying something like this. Hey, when you practice the gift of tongues, maybe you even have the, gift, the tongues of angels, 1 Corinthians 13, 1. And that's got to be as close as you could get to the halls of heaven, this side of heaven. Paul says, no, it's not. 
The gift of tongues is not the closest that you could get to heaven on earth. The gift of prophecy is not the closest that you could get. The gift of a word of knowledge, boy, the Lord spoke to me and it was right on the money, is not the closest that you could get to heaven. Those will perish one day. You know the closest that you could get to heaven on earth is when you love with God's love. How you doing? The Corinthians had elevated the spiritual gifts and they said, hey, if you don't have this gift, well, you're, you're a second-class citizen, a second-class Christian. Oh, you don't have this gift? And Paul says, look, if you have those gifts but you don't love, you're nothing. You've lost your witness in the community and the church. Sometimes we are measuring by the wrong measuring sticks. You see, the evidence that the Holy Spirit is moving in your life is love. These gifts serve a purpose. But if anything, may I submit to you, and this is a thought I had this week, that when the gifts are in operation, should they not point people more to Jesus? If, if the gifts in operation are pushing people away from the love of Christ, causing division in the body, pray tell, how could they really accomplish the edifying or the building up of the body, which is what the gifts are supposed to be? So Paul says, look, they have to be energized by love. Love has to be their goal. If, they, if you exercise the gift of tongues, if you exercise prophecy, if you exercise word of knowledge, then it should be showing the love of God, even if the word could be difficult, even if it's corrective, which this whole section I mentioned to you is. For the Corinthians, this is where they were failing. Paul says there's no prophet in the charismata, the spiritual gifts. There's no profit in it if it is not driven by love. If it's about self, if it's about self-aggrandizement, if it's about look at me and look at the gifts that I have, uh-uh. That's the kind of love that falls. And it makes other people fall as well. These manifestations of the Spirit, in verse 8, are for the church's present existence, which God's new people live between the times, as one writer puts it. Between the inauguration of the end through the death and resurrection of Jesus, inaugurated through the gospel, if you will, and the subsequent outpouring of the Spirit to the final consummation when Jesus comes again and we get new bodies. The gifts are for that time in between, if you will, the first and second comings. Once Christ has come, we don't need word of knowledge. You know why? We're going to have the knowledge of God. We're going to use our entire brains, not just 8%. Oh, maybe it's 10. <laughs> right? We're going to see the Lord face to face. Right? We're not going to need the gifts anymore because we will have the reality. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying God has graciously bestowed these gifts on the church but these gifts are going to pass away. The question is not if they will pass away. The question is when. And this is where some of the debate lies. Some of you have heard the debates about cessationism. You say, cessation what? <laughs> well, cessationism says that these gifts, especially the gift of tongues, seems the one they, to be the one they pick on, ceased at a given time in history. Read it again with me. If there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If they are tongues, they will what? That's the word where cessationism comes from. They ceased. And here's what they're saying. They're saying a cessationist view of the spiritual gifts 
says this, that at the end of the first century, at the closing of the apostolic age or the completion of the canon of the Bible, which I think every scholar would tell you was completed before the turn of the first century, Revelation probably written around 90 to 95 AD. These, this camp says those sign gifts, those gifts of uh, prophecy and uh, tongues and interpretation of tongues, they ceased at the closing of the apostolic age or the final written word of the canon of scripture and they are no more. So that any manifestation of the gift of tongues today is either from the flesh or even potentially demonic. Now some of you have heard these debates. And part of the reason these debates came up is because in the early 1900s there was a revival of what's called the Pentecostal movement. And these manifestations began to show up in the church. And as they did, there were people watching saying, oh, I don't think that's of God. It didn't fit well with their theological perspective and made some people uncomfortable. Now let me say that we do know that many of us have walked into a certain context where it was out of order. Maybe, we, maybe you walked into a, a Pentecostal church and, and it was crazy and there was no interpretation and you were like, this, this is craziness. And that's certainly true. There have been some contexts where it's been out of order and we might even wonder if it was from God and there has been some so-called revival movements that I can think of in the recent past where they were barking like dogs, flopping around like fish, and I'm not joking when I say this. And people looked at it and they said, if that's Christianity, you can have it. If that's a revival of the Holy Spirit where it's chaos and what appears to me is craziness, you can have that. And sadly, for a lot of the church, we threw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm not even sure where that... Do you guys know where that phrase came from? Who would ever throw the baby out with the bath? I don't know, but anyway, you know, you know what I'm saying. So rather than us saying, well, maybe that expression was unbiblical or maybe there's you know, something else that we need to, to figure out here, they threw everything away. Now we've had debates in the church. If you've been around at all, you know there's been debates from some major teachers with Calvary Chapel and it did no good for the church. It just caused further division. Let me just say this to you. I was in a debate on KKLA with uh, another scholar, and we were debating two friends in the cessationist camp uh, who are our friends, and we're colleagues on this radio program. And we debated them, and uh, we're arguing from the text, and I'll, and I'll give you my textual argument in a second, because that's my main argument, not experience. But if anybody ever had an expression of the gift of tongues, anybody, anywhere. So let's say in 1986, in the jungles of Ecuador, somebody spoke in tongues and it was legit. It was interpreted. Let's say that somebody got saved or uh, somebody was drawn closer to the Lord. Then the gift has not ceased. Well, that was isolated in the jungle. Yeah, maybe so. But that means the gift has not ceased. And some of you have read some uh, books that talk about some of these expressions of the gift of tongues. My first argument is not experience. Please hear what I'm saying. I'm going to argue from the text. But I'm going to say to you, if there's ever one experience of the gift of tongues or word of knowledge or prophecy that was legitimate from the Holy Spirit, legitimately from the Holy Spirit, then the gift has not ceased. It may be infrequent. It may be sometimes hard to find. 
but it's still there. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Life on the go can make it difficult to catch up on your study in the Bible. If you think about it, Walk in Truth with Pastor Michael Lance is here for you, kind of like a daily supplement to help your spiritual growth. You can listen to Walk in Truth whenever you want because it's on podcast too. Subscribe to Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. For example, if you have an iPhone, we're on your iPodcast app already on your phone. Walk in Truth is also on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and many more. So listen on your hike, during your drive, or while you're getting work done at a coffee shop. Basically, listen whenever you want. Subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast, available on your favorite podcast app. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Some of you have heard these debates. And part of the reason these debates came up is because in the early 1900s, there was a revival of what's called the Pentecostal movement. And these manifestations began to show up in the church. And as they did, there were people watching saying, oh, I don't think that's of God. It didn't fit well with their theological perspective and made some people uncomfortable. Now let me say that we do know that many of us have walked into a certain context where it was out of order. Maybe, we, maybe you walked into a, a Pentecostal church and and it was crazy, and there was no interpretation, and you were like, this, this is craziness. And that's certainly true. There have been some contexts where it's been out of order, and we might even wonder if it was from God, and there has been some so-called revival movements that I can think of in the recent past where they were barking like dogs, flopping around like fish, and I'm not joking when I say this, And people looked at it and they said, if that's Christianity, you can have it. If that's a revival of the Holy Spirit where it's chaos and what appears to me is craziness, you can have that. And sadly, for a lot of the church, we threw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm not even sure where that, do you guys know where that phrase came from? Who would ever throw the baby out with the bathwater? I don't know, but anyway, you you know what I'm saying. So rather than us saying, well, maybe that expression was unbiblical or maybe there's you know, something else that we need to, to figure out here, they threw everything away. Now we've had debates in the church. If you've been around at all, you know there's been debates from some major teachers with Calvary Chapel and it did no good for the church. It just caused further division. Let me just say this to you. I was in a debate on KKLA with uh, another scholar and we were debating two friends in the cessationist camp uh, who are our friends. and We're colleagues on this radio program. And we debated them, and uh, we're arguing from the text, and I'll, and I'll give you my textual argument in a second because that's my main argument, not experience. But if anybody ever had an expression of the gift of tongues, anybody, anywhere. So let's say in 1986, in the jungles of Ecuador, somebody spoke in tongues and it was legit it was interpreted let's say that somebody got saved or uh, somebody was drawn closer to the lord then the gift has not ceased well that was isolated in the jungle yeah maybe so but that means the gift has not ceased and some of you have read some uh, books that talk about some of these expressions of the gift of tongues my first argument is not experience please hear what i'm saying I'm going to argue from the text. 
But I'm going to say to you, if there's ever one experience of the gift of tongues or word of knowledge or prophecy that was legitimate from the Holy Spirit, legitimately from the Holy Spirit, then the gift has not ceased. It may be infrequent. It may be sometimes hard to find, but it's still there. Here's D.A. Carson. He says, this view assumes cessationism without warrant that the switch to the verb pusantai is more than a stylistic variation. Worse, it interprets the middle voice irresponsibly. In Hellenistic Greek, the middle voice affects the meaning of the verb in a variety of ways. And not only in the future of some verbs where middle voices are common, but also in the tenses. This is a little technical, but stick with me. The middle form may be used while the active force is preserved. At such points, the verb is deponent. One knows what force the middle voice has only by careful inspection of all occurrences of the verb being studied. In the New Testament, the verb prefers the middle, but that does not mean the subject stops under its own power. For instance, when Jesus rebukes the wind and raging waters, the storm stops. Same verse, Luke 8, 24, and certainly not under its own power. Here's his point. You can't make a good argument just from the Greek language that the word cease is anything but a synonym for the other terms in verse 8. Take a look. Whether there are prophecies, it will be done away. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. See, they make a big deal about the word cease there, but done away as a phrase is a synonym with cease. If something ceases, it's done away. Notice the repetition of done away when it comes to the word of knowledge at the end of verse 8. Here's my point. I don't want to beat this to death because I, I don't want to stand up here and be divisive, but I'll say this. I don't think there's a good case to be made that these spiritual gifts are no longer in operation. That's what I'm saying. Now, do I think they need to be done in order? Yes. Do I think that they're probably to be best used in a believer's meeting and not necessarily a Sunday morning service where you know it's a mixed multitude? I would say yes. But there's a place for these gifts. And when we get into chapter 14, we'll talk more about how they actually work. So the, the verb gain that Paul uses four times in verses 8, 10, and 11 is the one that we translate to set aside or to pass away or to cease. It's the same idea. For we know in part, hey, now we're at verse 9. Praise the Lord. <laughs> we will be done on time, I promise. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. All these gifts belong to the present and not the future. They are for now only. When we know fully, they will be unnecessary and obsolete. If you're taking notes, first illustration, our knowledge is partial or imperfect. Our knowledge is a partial knowledge, even of those that we hang around the most. And our prophecy does not explain the fullness of what and who God is. Our knowledge and prophesying are sufficient for us to be saved and to know God, but they are certainly not complete. Would you agree? How many times have you been in a Bible study, looked at a passage 17 times and went, I never saw that before. Wow. How much of the knowledge of the Almighty do you think we have? <laughs> we have some but we have not begun to even plumb the depths of actually who God is, how deep and incredibly powerful he is. In Romans 11.33, probably the greatest mind that the church has ever known, 
Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. Romans 11.33. Psalm 145, verse 3 says, Great is the Lord, highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. You and I will plumb the depths of God throughout eternity. Heaven is not going to be boring. You're going to be walking around for a thousand years just trying to get your bearings. Wow. 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 Streets of gold. Who, who cares? Wow. Wow. But your biggest wow factor is going to be able to see God. How many of you have just thought about that just for a few moments to see God? The one who said, let there be light. And light said, okay. The one who said to the water, that's as far as you can go. And the water went, the one who speaks fish, go pick up Jonah now. Whatever that (laughs) sounds like. Talk about the gift of tongues. Glory. We've only got a foretaste of the glory. We know in part. Sometimes people say, Pastor Michael, you know a lot of Scripture. Yeah, but I don't know all of it. (laughs) I know in part. I know parts, and some parts I forget. (laughs) Can I get a witness? Where are we again? (laughs) But when the perfect comes, 10. Here's an important word that you should write down. It's teleos, T-E-L-E-I-O-S. When the perfect comes. It's a word often used to speak of complete fulfillment, maturity. When the perfect comes, what will happen? The partial, which would include the three gifts named, but all the spiritual gifts, but the three most elevated in Corinth, the partial will be done away. Same idea. Tongues, prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, fill in the blank. When the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. What's the perfect? That's the debate. Some people say the perfect is the completion of the New Testament canon. Okay? Do you think people reading 1 Corinthians in AD 55 thought that the perfect was the completion of the written Bible? I doubt it. And after the written Bible has come, we know things are imperfect, but their argument is what's perfect is the Word of God. Let me give the benefit of the doubt. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. So they say, ah, this is the completion of the New Testament canon. I don't agree. Second view, it's the maturity or establishment of the church or the maturing process of the church because teleos can mean maturity. So when you're mature, you no longer need these gifts. Say what? I would think that the more you grow, the more you would long for the gifts of the Spirit. Amen? So I don't think that that view holds water. Some people say the second coming of Jesus Christ is in view. That's the perfect. And I would agree, but I'm going to give you a little more definition here. It's the second coming of Jesus. Because perfect is neuter in the Greek. It's teleon. Eliminating the possibility that it relates to a person. So, well then what is the perfect? Even though we know Jesus is perfect. But to be precise, the perfect is probably referring to the eternal state 
or the consummation or the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand-year reign moving into eternity, if you will. The perfect refers to the state of affairs brought about by the second coming of Jesus Christ, which inaugurates a golden age where the wolf and the lamb lie down together, where the lion eats grass, where the child could play at the hole of the cobra, where they will no longer hurt in my holy mountain, where the curse will be reversed and death will die and disease will be gone and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That's the perfect. Oh, how I long. <laughs> yeah, you can clap for that. It's coming. It's coming. The perfect is coming. Hold on, dear saint. This is an imperfect time. We're in a broken world. But the perfect is coming. The only possibility by process of elimination of the perfect is the eternal heavenly state of believers where death has died. When Jesus Christ comes, the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The perfect is coming. You're listening to When the Perfect Comes, Part 2 on Walk in Truth. We would really love to hear from you. So please send your comments or questions. Contact information is on walkintruth.com or you can call and leave us a brief message at 844-48-TRUTH. Again, you can visit walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH during normal business hours. Thanks for reaching out. Listen Monday for the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about when the perfect comes. I'm Mike Massaro. Hey, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth and have a great weekend. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.